0: I wish I had a pilot and a podcast, I wish I had a strong donkey that can holler ass and travel with portable speakers playing Boz Skats. I wish I had a million dollars, I wish I had a million albums, I wish I had a million problems, that way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp, I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man, yeah. I wish I was a comedian, late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it These kids are stealing all my pennies Focused on my wealth You can help me wish, but I would rather wish The help is like, just like I wish, I wish, that every time we love And it feels just like this I wish, I wish, that every time we do it It feels just like this I wish, I wish, that every time we love And it feels just like this It feels just like this It feels just like this wish I had a time machine. Wish I had a better rhyming speed. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lime beam. I wish that I could spread my wings. Huh. I wish that I had seven limbs. Yeah. That way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dímelo, dímelo. At least I kinda understand Wish that I could throw the deuce like gambling. Hey, cats and kittens. How are we doing tonight? I was an astronaut
1: welcome to another episode of the debrief i'm brianna joy gray you know what it is and we are here to talk about whatever you want as always but if it's helpful to focus on a topic today's episode was about all of the shenanigans that went down in new york state that ultimately cost democrats the house whether or not there will be any accountability for said shenanigans And whether or not you guys are still even invested in this whole electoral game and there were some significant, you know, wins for Democrats with respect to abortion rights and being able to ward off some of the worst of the Republican impulses this round. But I saw in the comments on Patreon that some of you were frustrated with descriptions of even kind of bad actors in this situation like Kathy Hochul being framed as kind of better than the alternative, whether or not that's true, it always does seem to be a little bit like, I don't know, it, it even if not intended that way, it can come off as a sort of apologia for the standards that we've come to accept in the democratic party. And it's particularly notable in a day like today when Nancy Pelosi finally, uh, relinquished the throne and is stepping down from her leadership position, not from her, um, role in Congress, but from leadership and already uh, everybody's a Twitter about what's going to happen next, who's next in line, breathlessly singing Hakeem Jeffries' praises. And I think many parts of the left are kind of bracing for a round of uh, discussion in which (laughs) all criticism of Hakeem Jeffries is met with the pushback that, you know, we're being racist Bernie bros, but maybe I'm being too cynical. Maybe that's not how it's going to go down. Let me hear from you guys. What's in your mind? How you doing, Chris? Hello. Hello.
2: Hey, 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 hey. How you doing?
1: I'm doing well. What are you drinking? You're <laughs> drinking
3: something, Wait man. Because
1: I, I heard, you, I heard you do a pour or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm was, I was about to say, I'm like, I
3: can't be that obvious that I'm having a drink right now i can't be the guy i can't be the guy who always has a drink on this thing come on come on, go on.
1: <laughs> look nah, you're not alone that's okay. that's what's important you're not alone all
3: right perfect i can accept that i can accept that <laughs> but um um i'm actually making a margarita Ooh. Okay. Yeah.
1: what's what do you do you do the whole shebang or do you do any of these modified margaritas
3: so i do i pretty much keep it simple um mm-hmm. My mom got me one of those like little uh, mixed drinkers and stuff like that. So lime, tequila, um, some orange liqueur. Right now, all I have is triple sack. Mm-hmm. I, I would have had like some grandma or something like that. But yeah, you know, all I got is triple sack. So
1: You're like, Please I keep it simple. do you know what my version of a margarita is? My preferred cocktail?
3: Oh, oh, really? oh what is it?
1: It's tequila, sparkling water and lime. <laughs>
3: Boat. <laughs> <I'm> like <laughs> that sounds like such like a very up upscale you know oh you know i gotta watch my calories 100 so, you know.
2: <laughs> oh, <my, my>, <laughs>
1: percent.
3: it's not gonna hurt you i know they made it then and me but it ain't gonna hurt it ain't gonna. well it's
1: you. not it is that but it's also just the fact that you know in my 37 years of life i've learned just a couple of things uh, one of <laughs> one of those things is that the surest way to avoid any kind of hangover is to not drink any sugar with your alcohol. So if you drink just tequila sodas and lime, people who know me know that I'm an evangelist about tequila soda and lime. <laughs> you, you will realize that you can have a pretty wild night and drink to your heart's content and wake up the next morning with no issues.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy now. Since I'm thinking about it, because. I have been having this problem as far as like uh hangovers when I have mm-hmm. got drink and like I swear when I was twenty it was not this bad but like a lot to you not I can have like three drinks and if they are like if I'm feeling it, i literally feel it the next day and then I'm just like a whole ass mess. And mind you, I still gotta work on a Friday too, so it's just like god damn. So maybe you might just give me a good tip.
1: I'm trying, I'm letting you know now, if you mix it with some other kind of alcohol, you have other, some other kind of sugar on the side, I'm not responsible for the outcome because people okay. like to blame all of their problems on tequila. It's like, it's like how when people get shell as uh, uh, food poisoning, they all blame the seafood, but like mm. 99% of uh, poisoning cases come from like lettuce.
3: Oh uh, yeah. That's, I hear that stuff got like a lot of like E. coli and stuff mm-hmm, like that, mm-hmm. and So yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So tequila is the seafood of cocktails And everyone blames <laughs> their wild nights And their hangovers And their woo-woo-girl oh. behavior on tequila It's not tequila's fault That you had all of those mixed <laughs> shots And, a, 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 you know, Aperol spritz And then a bourbon shot And whatever the heck else you had going on that <laughs> night that, Don't blame that on Miss tequila She never did anything wrong to anybody
3: Right, it's just it's people's personal choice And the fact that they can't really, like, resist
1: Mm-hmm. Just keep it, keep, keep it clean. You'll have no problems or don't. And, you know, suffer the consequences. It's your life. I'm not here to tell anybody what to do. But, Chris, I know you didn't call, call, call in tonight to ask me for my favorite cocktail recipes.
3: I did not call in for your favorite cocktail recipes, but I was a little. I am curious. And now that I know, <laughs> I know uh, Brianna Joy Gray's preferred drink is tequila. What is it? Salsa water and a lime. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how interesting but um um what i called in one because you know the queen relinquished her throne unlike game of thrones where you know they don't go out so ceremoniously and everything like that she actually she bowed out and mm-hmm. i'm not even gonna lie I'm, I'm a little shocked by it just because she always kind of struck me as the yeah she's gonna hold on to it with a death grip like she's always kind of took me as the kind of like Not the shit on her, but like the roof gate, uh, roof beta Ginsburg. Like, you know, I'm going to go, you know, I'm Mm gonna hold on to this as long as I can, and then Mm -hmm. everything. So I'm a little shocked about that, and then. It, it was an interesting conversation I was having on Twitter. Cause I mean, obviously Hakeem Jeffries is like the guy, but I was like, well, maybe isn't this kind of like the play that Pramila Jayapal was trying to go for maybe, you mm-hmm. know, cause you know, she's like an inside game, but then I realized she's not really good at politics, especially as far as upward in her position. So, um,
1: yeah. Well, when the whole CPC letter thing was happening, I saw some commentary, maybe it was from Ryan Graham, that this would reflect poorly on her chances for speakership. Mm -hmm. I felt like, I mean, all of the, all of the angling they've done in something like that derails your chances. I mean, tough crowd,
4: Mm -hmm. but
1: you know, that, that was some interesting insight, but I don't know that she ever, how could she possibly have ever really stood a chance against someone who obviously is more ideologically aligned with Nancy Pelosi and most of the democratic party, like, Hakeem Jeffries. I mean, no matter how much Pramila Jayapal threw her values under the bus, it's, it's like Democrats trying to be second-rate Republicans. She was being, trying to be a second-rate Neil Lib
4: and mm-hmm. the second-rate
1: version never gets chosen. So all of that never. or what? Or maybe I could be wrong. Maybe 10 years after Hakeem Jeffries, she will get her, her spot. Who knows? Mm,
3: I don't think so. Like, Well, maybe the most she could possibly do is try to become a whip, though, but the left side of the party really can't whip anything. They can't even stand together on anything or vote as a block or anything. So, like, yeah, I think it's just one of those things. Maybe she's just, you know, she's like a a very ineffective congressperson. I'll say that. Yeah, a very ineffective congressperson who is like, like you said, like she has no problem throwing her own side under the bus, though. But then it's like, for what game? Because at the end of the day, you're never going to be with the cool kids. You're never going to sit with the cool
1: kids. My worst fear is that she is, in fact, a quite effective congressperson, But her, she's judging her efficacy on how well she can corral the left, not how well she can advance their interests. I know you said we we uh, interviewed Rokana was that earlier this week or last week on Rising, and I asked him about all this stuff, mm-hmm. the CPC letter, leadership, and all that. And you know, I he's a better person to have a longer interview format because god bless him he requires a whole slew of follow-up questions because he's very good at giving these non-answers you know uh
3: yes he is he is very effective at just making you forget just gaslighting you but right. i the one thing i can say is he com- he does come he, you know he does come on these platforms and he does take the darts and he tried he defends his position as best as he possibly could and or his inaction or things that he did like i think i thought when that whole letter thing came down, like he really, you know, maybe because he was the only one though, but it seems like Ro Khanna to me has a a better sense of a read of the left than anybody else in the progressive circles. Like I think a lot of them kind of get their asses kissed when it comes to just like them talking. Well, well, you know, like, or they stay more so like in their echo chambers. So they don't really get, so when they actually do go out and about and they're met with this, it's kind of still like a little shocking in them. It's like, Oh, my side doesn't love me like this anymore. And I think Rokana has a little bit more knack of, or at least a feel of the left, but maybe it's because he goes to the podcast so he can kind of, he understands where the criticisms and where a lot of the darts are going to come. And then of course he's going to do his politician thing or say, you know, trying to make it seem like, Oh, you know, well uh, we tried this and we did this and I believe this and I still think we can do this. And, you know, we just got to get to everyone together and we got to stay united and blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, okay, yes, yeah, sir. We hear you. I,
1: don't know, I, I... I don't know. Let me ask you. Do you think that do you think that he really actually has a better read on what the left wants giving some of the answers that he's given about Ukraine for instance as opposed to I don't know. My feeling is that someone like Rashida Tlaib might have a much better sense of yeah. what's going on, but she just doesn't talk to us so we don't she's not really in our mm-hmm. sights. You know? Like I I think that there are people who whose records and careers have demonstrated that they have much more their, their core beliefs are closer to the left. I mean, Rashida believe is out here getting like arrested at protests and stuff, protesting for Palestine. And, you know, her kind of personal story and personal commitments, I think make it more difficult for her to ignore certain things. But I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes I, sometimes I, I wonder what's going on with some of the quieter squad members. Yeah.
3: I mean, we have put it like that. I guess maybe, I guess maybe because Ro Khanna actually talks, and talks to the like the left and everything like that maybe maybe that's why since like maybe he has like a better feel like I mean AOC or none of them they didn't really come and defend the letter they just kind of was just like oh you know Mm -hmm. they didn't say anything to or at least with Ro Khanna I think he like I think he kind of picked up on the idea of everyone and it wasn't just like on the left side I mean even I mean you saw like uh, with Robbie and like the right or anyone who really saw the letter it was like this was as far as like people who want to push for negotiated peace, which I think is a good majority of America.
1: Well, the inside, the in the off the record inside scoop is that, you know, the, the staffer involved is a known quantity for, for lots of people. And the understanding is that he has a a good relationship with that staffer. And that's why he resisted throwing them under the bus, the way that everybody else threw them under the bus. And I know the guy and I I like him. I don't know him that well, but I, I, I like him as well. And I wonder, it, you know, even that being the case, though, you know, there are plenty of people who have good relationships with staffers and still wouldn't hesitate to throw them under the bus. So
4: mm-hmm.
1: I don't know. Did the staffer just have a conversation with Roe so he actually understood it better than other people? Is Ro's mm-hmm. affinity for the staffer just such that he just refused to throw them under the bus? Like, I don't know. But that I think that that's part of what was going on there with Roe. He was just closer to it in some, like, human way.
3: Yeah. Well, that, well. That's insider that I wouldn't have not known. Like, I actually kind of felt that he had like, um he actually just kind of had like some good, you know, that's the problem. That's why politicians are good because they can kind of fool you. And you think it's like, oh, well, maybe he finally saw and it. And it's like, yeah, like negotiated peace isn't a terrible thing. And this was like just a terrible response. But if you're saying it's because he had more, well, the insider information is he had more, he's a little more closer to that staffer. Then it's like, yeah, I guess that's like principled. I guess you don't throw your mans under the bus.
1: Yeah, I mean it's something. I don't know what that means as a generalized principle for how he's making decision making uh, sorry handling decision making going forward, but it's mm-hmm.
4: something.
3: Yeah, um also uh for your um for the uh podcast that you just did with the uh two guys from New York. Mm-hmm. It 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 really like I guess that's on a, on a way it's like it's kind of like bittersweet because it's like on one hand how I look at it is like, you know, This 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 midterm couldn't have worked out any better for Democrats. And I think that's a obviously for us on the left. I think that's a bad thing because now they don't have the House. So they don't have to do anything, but now they can kind of start talking like they care about things and doing things. But knowing that any like in action is going to stop most of the kind of, most of the kind of things that they will want to push for that we want to push for. I mean, they've already kind of been giving out the hey, you know, you guys did a great job, and uh, we appreciate all the young people and you voted for us. But um, yeah, this uh it's not going to get, uh, this road's not going to get codified. And it's Mm -hmm. like, they're, they're, they're living in the best of both worlds where they can blame Republicans for why, you know, things aren't going the way they do. And then of course, Republicans are, you know, they're already shipping and kind of shaping how they're about to move as far as like getting, um, Hunter Biden and them, well, trying to get Hunter Biden out of here though. But me personally, I really, really, really don't care. And I kind of, hmm. I kind of think it's a little hypocritical of the because I've seen that like he was trending and everything and they was all like oh you know nobody cares about this so it was like yeah but no one really cared about um, the the whole Russia gate especially even when that was a hoax and y'all still going away. so it's like unfortunately it's like. They're playing tennis back and forth with this kind of stuff. So it's like now they're going to get that shit off and they're going to be, we're going to see meetings and meetings about Hunter Biden. We're about to learn a lot about his personal and personal stuff. And then ultimately, what it'll probably come down to is they're going to try to tie it to Biden, but unfortunately, they're not going to have the smoking gun to get Biden. And then it's going to be one of those fucking things. And then it's rinse, uh, rinse and repeat. And then unfortunately, no kind of policy is going to move for the next two years.
1: That sounds about right. (laughs)
3: It's <laughs> so bleak. It's so bleak and so sad. Ugh.
1: It's funny to think about how much, how many words were devoted by leftists to how useless uh, having hearings on Medicare for All would be when our ideological others, you know, have no issue doing all of, using all this energy and space on stuff that's not going anywhere and that everyone's going to pay attention to, these personal vendettas against various politicians. And I can't say that hearings on Medicare for All. Would have substantively changed anything, but I know mm-hmm. they would be more useful than the shit we're about to have to see under Biden or what have you.
3: Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think um, well, at least with, with Medicare for all, like if there's any hope for it, it's probably not going to happen for another four, six, six years. It's probably not because uh, it, it seems like it, at least like because I'm learning more about like these terms, especially like like with populism and everything. And considering like I guess like what they would call like right wing populism, um, I guess like Emily, uh, Emily Jasinski is kind of like considers herself that though. But at least you do hear conversations about. working class and you know it's not just you know the at least there's a fraction within the republican party i don't know if i agree with it or not but there at least there are people who kind of sound the alarm of like hey we can't just constantly have you know we can't just constantly kiss the ass of these billionaires and just do everything like the working class is being left alone, and we're only able to sell this you know everybody can be rich and everyone can be a millionaire if we just really lean into capitalism. And it's starting, I think it's even starting to ring a little low for their side of the aisle. Now, obviously they don't believe in like what we will want, like it's more like a, a government, uh, government funded things for like, per, like for like um necessities, like healthcare and childcare and things like that though. But these conversations about like, you can't just constantly keep giving tax breaks. Oh yeah. Keep giving tax breaks. And then like, that's it, and then you just leave everyone behind. So maybe the right will form some kind of idea to kind of help with sort like as far as like healthcare. So maybe they could, maybe they could get. Them. Actually, not nah, that probably won't happen. I'm just, right. yeah, yeah, no, nah, that's not gonna <laughs> look
1: happen. I, look, I like <laughs> asking, Chris. I really <laughs> appreciate you calling in and taking us down that. Uh, okay. <laughs> that imaginative journey
3: <laughs> yeah i was trying i was like yo you know right populism it is so you know maybe the work they're talking working class or so maybe we can get something yeah it's not gonna happen yeah,
1: yeah. well yeah. look thanks as always it's nice to talk to you chris
3: all right See
1: hey dina what's on your mind this evening
5: hello hello hi brie how are you doing today
1: doing all right what are you up to what are you thinking about tonight
5: um. Well, I do want to talk about today's episode, but first, I just wanted to respond to um, the last call-in episode, um, where you were talking about sort of the theoretical of what to do when if there's a Holocaust, um, mm-hmm. and what would the left's um, response to that be, um, and. I was thinking about it, and the main thing I've, I've come to is just the idea of, like, the minute the Nazis started implementing, basically, apartheid as, like, the precursor for the Holocaust, um, I would have an open invitation to all the Jews of Europe um, to come to the U.S. as refugees. Mm. Um, and I think that's, like, like, kind of related to that. Uh, one of the biggest, like, emotional and visceral uh, justifications for Zionism um, is this idea that, so that if there's a Holocaust, another Holocaust, um, Jews have somewhere to escape to and somewhere to go. Um, and, I mean, there's even, I know that, um, I think it was actually JFK's dad or Something, um, but he had a boat. Okay, I don't really remember exactly what this story is, but basically, there was a big boat of Jewish refugees coming from Germany. Um, uh, trying, they docked um, in Florida, I believe. Um, and then they the US just made them turn around and they all died um, in the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, to me, seems like a um, the most peaceful way to prevent loss of life um, possible.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the irony of Zionism and all of the displacement and tragedy that has resulted in the region since then is that it was kind of a necessity driven by the rest of the world's anti-Semitism and their unwillingness to open their arms in a humanitarian fashion like the one you described. So I I think that's a really, you know, know, I I love the idea. I have some skepticism about America's willingness to do that, although I I will say it's being very open to Ukrainian migrants (laughs) right now in a way that is causing people in the immigration world to be really... Uh, annoyed because of the disparate treatment between Ukrainian immigrants and all everybody else who's been "quote unquote" in line. And I've heard stories about how Ukrainian immigrants like completely bypass the immigration system and get so much better accommodations while everybody else is sleeping in like these basic, like jail-like conditions on the on the border and the like. But obviously, the argument is not to treat Ukrainians worse, but to treat everybody else better. It's just. The world we live in. <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess this isn't the hypothetical of the left uh, being, you know, completely yeah. in charge of the U.S. government. Yeah. Um, but the other thing I also wanted to respond to was, like, I think briefly mentioned music, um, protest music, and the role that music plays in r- movements. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just feel like, Dolly Parton would Mm -hmm. be so good to, like, redo an old labor, one of the old labor songs and, like, Mm -hmm. update it for the modern age. Uh, My favorite, personally, is Solidarity Forever, Mm -hmm. um, which I feel like has the chorus that everybody can sing and is only two words to remember. Um, And then each verse, um, like, in the old Woody Guthrie version, it, um, is something
1: playing? Oh my Do you hear something? I, I don't.
5: No? Okay, how about now?
1: I, I mean, I how hear about? you, but I don't hear anything that I should oh, okay. hear. Okay.
5: I, somehow I was playing Abby Martin at the same time as <laughs> being on this call. Um, but so Dolly Parton, she actually... I, I used to be a preschool teacher and we had this one kid, he loved Dolly Parton and his parents told us that apparently Dolly Parton read personally reads and responds to all the fan letters she gets, like, Mm -hmm. especially from kids. Um, and so I feel like if enough people wrote letters, if we did like a letter writing campaign to Dolly Parton, um, for her to redo solidarity forever, um, I just feel like that. I don't know. I personally just really love that song. And I also feel like everybody loves Dolly. Um, it's but, cool. <laughs> but, um, and then to actually talk about the episode today, um, I kind of got really annoyed with, uh, Ross Barkin, um, kind of straw manning defund the police in order to argue against it Um, and I guess I feel like a really easy rhetorical way to sort of not allow people to do that is pretty like to have the slogan be like defund the police, refund the people Mm -hmm. Um, because I think You made a good point where it's like, if people did, if people spent like all the energy they spent talking about how defund the police is a bad slogan, and instead we're explaining it, um, that like, it would be much more popular than it is. Um, And I just feel like putting those two things together is, is both that explanation and the demand altogether.
1: Um, I thought Zoran did a good job of explaining that it's not a um, it's not an austerity program that defund is not the same thing as defunding education or any of these other kind of conservative austerity projects because it is about reallocation and refunding the thing is it's like it seems to me that that is very much a part of anything anybody who says defund always says always and so I, I think that you're right there's this there's this element of it that it is, people are straw manning it. They say things like, you know, the defund slogan, it's unclear, you know, people think that, you know, there's not going to be, you know, people are running around just screaming defund, some, some activists somewhere said defund, you know, some politician <laughs> tweeted defund, and it's like, when all of that was happening, when, when politicians were like tweeting about defund, it was actually quite
5: popular. I know. I yeah. was doing
1: it because it was literally popular. Because we were in a historical moment where everyone could see with their own eyes what the police were doing. People were making active arguments for what our money should be doing and the alternative to make the world a better place. And when, like, I I, I remember this. Like, I don't know why everyone's memory holds this. I was unemployed, staring at my computer, watching <laughs> the whole thing from my studio apartment in the summer of 2020. <laughs> and what happened was. Biden won the primary and the back call went out that talking about defund was going to hurt Joe Biden and elect Trump. And so all of the newscasters who had been enthusiastically kind of rooting for the protesters and talking about what an amazing once in a generation event this was pivoted like on a dime. And I remember because a lot of the black newscasters who aren't necessarily reliable leftists because of their kind of racial sense of solidarity were very enthusiastic, especially enthusiastic about defund. We're defending BLM. We're getting on the hall of these fights with everybody else. And we're like kind of going hard in the paint for defund. But the second the bad signal that went out that said this is hurting Joe Biden, everybody snapped in line. And as soon as the media coverage turned, we went from living in a world where a majority of Minnesotans vote you know polled said that it was good to burn down that police station yeah i remember that (laughs) a world where suddenly it's like you can't say the words to fund or we're gonna get a red wave and it was so obviously politically driven and the polls followed the messaging not the other way around and then all of the left got scared of its shadow like i under I, i i expect you know tiffany cross or don lemon or whatever to, to throw the movement under the bus. I don't I'm not asking anything of them. I don't demand anything of them. It is confusing to me why so many leftists got so scared so fast. And I got to say this came up a little bit on last the the last call in as well. There are reasons why there has been some skepticism from the black community about certain leftist movements and I've made my defenses of the Bernie against the Bernie bird charge and all of that. But in these moments when there's so much energy dedicated to why a quote-unquote slogan isn't good, instead of showing even a little bit of like resilience and pushback, especially when we're just we're all allies sitting here talking on a podcast, it, it I just don't understand it. I just don't because people aren't even they don't isn't even feel like they're coming to it with this like let's moot out the best way to go about fighting for defund. Let's let's moot the best language to use when convincing people that the defund is a good idea. Maybe that involves not using the word defund, but let's figure out the best way to advance the interest of defund. No, the conversation is always just about defund, defund is a bad slogan and it's bad.
5: Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of it comes from people like imagining at what these communities, these like communities of color like want um, and sort of trying to get ahead of that. Um, But like, for example, they talked about like Orthodox communities. And um, so a lot of my family is Orthodox and I do live in Brooklyn and my sister lives in Crown Heights, which Mm. is a neighborhood of Brooklyn that is very um, Orthodox. It's Lubavitch um, specifically. And so I talk to a lot of ultra-Orthodox Jews all the time mm-hmm. and often about things that, re- like, brush up against politics. Um And I have had conversations with these people about things like defund the police and all that kind of stuff. And it's just not that hard to, if you actually explain it and, like, especially because at least in in my specific case, like the idea that communities and strong communities keep people safe and prevent crime in a much better way than police could ever um, is very, is very like powerful uh, of an argument. Um, And it really resonates with them a lot. Um, And I mean, it's just like, they're just, these are just like common sense, self evident things of like, obviously, like when young people are, have jobs, uh, that means they're not on the streets and they have something to do and they don't need to like, like most crime is, is young people unemployed. Um, and that's just not hard for people to get. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, Another thing also that I found that resonates with everybody across the board, um, just kind of a tangent, but just especially in New York City, um, because there's just so many police um, and most of them don't really do anything except for like stand around looking at their phones on the subway. (laughs) um, They don't even stand around looking at their phones like on the platform. They only stand by the turnstiles um. So, like, I hear people being people who like don't want to defund the police, but they're like, at least they should be like patrolling the, the platform. When, but like, all they really do is stand by the turnstiles. Yes. Um. But the other thing is that like, like so many of them are just like out of shape. Um. And like yeah, they got they got to learn ju- ju- jitsu Per uh, yeah, the Coleman ex- Hughes episode. No, but exactly. It's like. First of all, it's like, I think the statistic is like 4% of police is actually dedicated to like violent crime. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's like the police that should be dedicated to that should be like professionals. They should be like, (laughs) they -hmm. shouldn't, they shouldn't need guns. And Mm -hmm. they should, yeah, they should know street fighting and martial arts and like Mm -hmm. all that stuff. Um, Also, why aren't they wearing sneakers? (laughs)
1: it feels to me like if you wanted someone to be able to like chase down a perp and like handle themselves with dexterity they would be wearing like sneakers and jog jogging pants not like tight trousers with a belt and like yeah i don't know
5: (laughs) i don't know why sorry i'm sure they're not really loafers but they don't look comfy it's the same thing with army uniforms Mm -hmm. they also don't wear uh, sneakers
1: yeah. Well, look, I, I, maybe I'm misremembering this, but maybe you tell me. I, I feel like I read an article recently, actually, about policing and Orthodox communities in New York and how either there was a community-funded police officer or there had been a relationship with the city where they made sure there was, like, an Orthodox patrol because yeah, definitely. of the cultural sensitivities.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: and, um. oh, I think, are you talking about how? Was there a case where like they didn't accept, or are you just? Are you no, this was to a story. Incident? Like
1: this was a story within the last like six weeks that I read on the internet, and there was there was an underlying story about there was some altercation that had happened that these orthodox cops had been able to manage better, but I can't mm-hmm. I can't remember the details of it now. But just to say that I, I take your
5: point about. Oh yeah, no, I mean. And, like, everybody in that community knows about, it is, it's, like, a partnership between the city and these, like, community groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, like, everyone in the neighborhood neighborhood knows about them. And, yeah, um, whenever I do bring up, it's actually funny you mention it, because when I do bring up defund the police and I talk about, like, communities keeping us safe, they'll often bring up exactly that program Um, Mm -hmm. and how much better it is than just having some random cops that usually are like come out, come from like outside of the city anyway. Um, Mm -hmm. Like it's really cops in New York city are. it really is basically a jobs program for the suburbs Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. beyond any sort of like beyond anything else. Um, It's like a, yeah, it's, I,
1: I, love that. I love that framing. My goodness, I'm going to have to use that. Uh, and shout out to neoliberal, neoliberal Tears for dropping the Times article that I was thinking about. You're very good on the internets. Um, I have really enjoyed talking to you, Dina. Thank you for calling yeah. in.
5: Yeah, no problem. We'll see,
1: what, we'll see what we can do about Dolly. I will say, I think that there's something ironic about wanting... Dolly's wonderful, but there's something ironic about wanting such an old singer (laughs) from a bygone time to be the one to update a song from a bygone time. (laughs) But I I do appreciate your point about the goodwill of it all. Um, I
5: feel like like Dolly Parton, though, is like, in the way that we're we're always talking about, Bernie would always talk about the multiracial, multigenerational, blah, blah, blah. I feel like Dolly Parton really has that same kind of... Appeal across generations, mm-hmm. um yeah. Like I don't know a single person of any age who doesn't love Dolly.
1: I get. It. I mean, she might have to team up with.
5: That's true. She some, could do like somebody. a like a Billy Ray Cyrus Lil Nas X kind of a hundred percent of a deal. I'm in.
1: Uh, Car- <laughs> Cardi B, Dolly Parton. Oh my god! Pace print. <laughs> let's go. Let's let's call That's Spotify. A great idea. <laughs> how do we make this happen if you are in contact with cardi b and or Dolly parton i need you to dm me stat all right Mm -hmm. thanks for calling in dina
5: yeah take care
1: take care keep the faith hey david what's on your mind
6: hey brie can you hear me
1: i can't hear you are you doing martial arts in your picture uh yes
6: but that was when i was in high school and uh The reason it's still my uh, profile pic is because I can't do that anymore.
1: Well, look, that's why we take (laughs) pictures. That's why when you take photos and your friends are like, oh, no, that's ugly. Delete it. I say, no, girl, I'm not going to delete it. Because not only is this going to look way better tomorrow morning when we wake up, it's going to look fabulous five years from now.
6: (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. So what's your mind tonight?
6: uh, um, So first, the... uh, you know, the previous caller mentioned the, um, you know, Ukrainian refugees getting uh, preferential treatment. I just was curious if you caught any of the uh, stuff about the Afghanistan Adjustment Act.
1: No, tell me. Fill me in.
6: Uh, so this is John Stewart's latest um, crusade. uh He's two for two so far. I think he's probably going to end up being three for three. Uh, But basically the Afghanist or, you know, when we withdrew from Afghanistan, basically all the translators who helped us, you know, same thing for Iraq. um, uh, We basically abandoned and uh, they have a horrific time getting, you know, out of the country um and uh are hunted down and you know uh they have their families taken hostage and um anyway, it not to get too deep into it, but basically this would expedite uh uh them being able you know especially the ones who literally helped save American lives for, you know, a decade, Um, uh, helping them get out of the country safely. Um, Similar to with the Ukraine um, situation, there was a Ukrainian Adjustment Act to help, uh, you know, Ukrainians get here more quickly and easily.
1: Mm-hmm. um oh, so, you're, so saying, you're saying that the reason why Ukrainian immigrants are having an easier time than other immigrants is because there's the ones that were kind of aiding America's military efforts were are specifically being fast tracked yes there's
6: there's or at least that's that's part of it I'm sure you know there's also some you know bias just in the systems as it is but um, there's also a specific Ukrainian Adjustment Act that you know gives them a a, a much more streamlined process, and they're trying. You know, John Stewart's latest thing that he's trying to shame shame Congress into doing is um, fast tracking. You know, for for the people in Afghanistan, you know this. The same kind of bill, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm. I don't doubt that that is maybe a part of it. Um, I don't think that it accounts for all of the differences. And we, you know, we've oh, seen absolutely, yeah. we've seen differences absolutely between even you. how, let's say, Haitian immigrants are treated versus uh, immigrants uh, from Latin America. I mean, there's all kinds of things that are happening. And what I what course. I've heard is that Haitians absolutely. get sent back immediately. Haitians don't even like touch touch ground, <laughs> um, and there's like many tiers of things going all the way down, well, the, all the way up. He, he picked it.
6: Afghanistan because it was, re- you know, like the most recent in terms of us pulling out, right? And you know, so the and and the you know, you had the footage of people trying to, you know, hang on to airplanes while they were taking off, and all. Mm-hmm. It's it's like. You know over the years I think he's gotten pretty good at identifying what Americans feel shame about uh or at least have the potential to feel shame about mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, anyway um but but yeah, i mean yemen, haiti, like we yeah we treat everybody like shit so
1: i feel i've been saying this for a long time and the reason it hasn't happened is it is because i can't get guests to really engage in the subject because i know it's tough but i feel like the left is long overdue for a conversation about borders in which we actually articulate a left immigration policy instead of just having kind of reaction that is critical of the policies that are put forth by Democrats and Republicans. And I think it's a hard conversation because I think that ethically we are going to have to acknowledge the truth of the the charge that always comes toward the left, which is, you know, you want open borders and we also have to confront the labor implications of that as well. It's going to be hard. Yeah, go ahead.
6: Yeah. Well, I just, this this kind of brings me to my second thing. So, you know, I lived in Rockland County. I I actually was part of the Stony Point Democrats, and uh, I was part of a sort of local um, lefty organization called um, Rockland Citizens Action Network, and we helped flip our state senate seat from uh, red to blue in stony point and hmm. uh we also um that's I, I think jamal bowman was in one of the districts that this local organization sort of helps hmm. and um so, you know i he came and talked you know he came to a bunch of our meetings uh, i've met him um what did you think I mean, I I thought he was decent, you know, like, unfortunately, my, my experience with politicians, so like our, our state Senate guy, you know, we had the New York Health Act, which hadn't gotten enough co-sponsors in the state Senate, but had passed the state assembly, uh, like several years in a row, right? Mm -hmm. And so this guy was an, you know, was going from the state assembly, and he was going to take the state senate seat and we help them get in there and one of the things he said was our, uh, we asked them point blank you know will you co-sponsor the New York Health Act in the senate and he said well I, I was one of the first co-sponsors in the assembly right mm-hmm. guess what he didn't do <laughs> the second he got into the senate mm. <laughs> so you yeah. know Like my experiences um, and especially with the New York Democratic Party, um, the New York Democratic Party leadership all throughout the time that I've had lived there uh, were clearly the enemy. Right. Like. Uh, If there was anything good that people were trying to do, they were making sure it didn't happen. Uh, And so, for example, when I went to the uh, New York uh, Young Democrats meeting uh, and um, it was the former chair of the Democratic Party, I forgot her name, uh, who was ousted, I think, recently. Or retired or something, um, and
1: not Debbie Wasserman Schultz.
6: No, 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 no. That was uh, that's that's the national party. This is uh, just oh, the, I the mm-hmm. New York State. Uh, I, but I, I went to the Young Democrats meeting, which is supposed to be like all of the, you know, young, young youth energy that they're trying to you know, lift up into the Democratic Party or whatever, mm. right? And here it is. It's, you know, the the chair, a bunch of Hillary Clinton posters, and um, basically everyone there is a staffer of one of the local Democratic
4: politicians. Mm. Mm.
6: <laughs> and that's it, <laughs> right? Mm. So it's their job to be there.
4: Mhm. Mm-hmm. And, and
6: like, as I'm talking to these people, I, you know, quickly start realizing that every single one of them is a staffer. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, uh, it. The so the only uh, uh, the only positive stuff comes from dragging them kicking and screaming and, and literally just throwing them out and replacing them with like normal ass people. Mm. And I mean, so, so I, I know I've brought up the represent us organization a couple times. I, uh, I also tried to, uh, get Aaron Maté and uh, Katie Halpert get it on their radar. But um, I noticed that it hasn't gotten any penetration in like the independent media at all. And
1: uh, I'm so sorry. Re- remind me what that is again.
6: So represent us. It's a single issue campaign um, to get uh big money out of politics, mm. but they're, they're, what what makes them different is it's a it's a nonpartisan organization. So I've talked to Fox News watching Republicans about it because w- when you tell people that like the system is corrupt, like I've never had somebody disagree with that statement. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, not a single time from the most right wing fox news watching republican to you know bernie Sa- well obviously
7: bernie sanders democrat but
6: uh to you know my my clintonite parents like uh, no nobody disagrees with that and mm-hmm. so like for me the when when i saw these guys um and they've had like several statewide victories, citywide victories. Um, they've done a lot of um, anti-gerrymandering. I think they were part of the campaign in Maryland and New York. Um, they got ranked choice voting in Hawaii uh, and Maine and um, the, the, the height of their, you know, the, the closest they've got to like a real anti-corruption bill, was in South Dakota. They actually got, through a ballot measure, they got um, their model legislation passed, and the legislature declared a state of emergency to repeal it. So in South Dakota, the state legislature basically said, we cannot run the government without corruption. We have to repeal this, and they declared a state of <laughs> emergency. <laughs> right. All
1: right but, look, I, yeah, go ahead.
6: Oh uh, uh, no, what, what were you going to say?
1: I was just going to say thank you for reminding me. I I won't I won't forget again. Um, <laughs> but like i said on the last call and people should feel free to keep bringing things up i'm never going to be offended because i know i mean it's just so many things
6: no i i know you guys are super i i'm if if i got like a contact or somebody to interview there uh where could i send send it Uh, i
4: wish i had an assistant (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, you can try uh, the best <laughs> <safe> email. <laughs> okay.
1: Um, All right. Uh, but look, I, I'm taking my note, and I, I I'm gonna, tr- I'll figure it something out. It sounds like a, something that would be great for a, a guest on Rising, to be honest, since it, it in speaking to a more bipartisan audience, well, has that bipartisan appeal. So.
6: So, uh, they've got s- some celebrities like Ed Helms. Hmm. Um. Uh, um Jennifer Lawrence, um mm-hmm. Sarah Silverman's done stuff for them before. Um um uh but you know, if if you look at the rep- website, I um I'm sure if you like asked for somebody to interview, they'd probably give you somebody.
1: Yeah, thank, thank you for that, David. Thank you so much. I appreciate you calling in.
6: They also had um, a bunch of really, really funny uh, YouTube videos. Uh, uh, not as many recently, but uh, in the, you know, 2014. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll let you... Uh, get back to it uh anyway thank you for that's the very substantive the call. and i really
1: i really appreciate it <laughs> keep the faith
6: all right you too bye-bye
1: bye-bye hey red hey Pasa. yo what's the word bro? <laughs> <laughs> oh
2: shit <laughs> that's all y'all can get out of me for right now man
1: <laughs> how are you doing my friend <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's been a while y'all i don't know if anybody noticed oh shit
1: Yo, how have you been or is everything okay on your end
2: hell no <laughs> <laughs> all right that's my last one shit <laughs> your boy
1: oh no <laughs> Red.
2: your boy going through it out here in these streets Bree. Yeah,
1: i'm sorry so
2: so damn much
4: mm.
2: i guess the only good thing about it was it Kept me distracted from like all of this politic bullshit, but
4: mm.
2: oh my god, Brie. I, I swear, I don't know. All I can ask, all I was just, I ain't gonna hold y'all up. All I just wanna say, y'all can just pray for your boy or something. If you don't pray, send good vibes. Is there
1: anything that we can help you with?
2: <sighs> nah, not really. It's just just gotta go through yeah, go the motions. Oh,
1: well I'm sorry. That's I'm... life, man. Let's all let's all send some, send some good positive energy Red's way.
2: Whew, man, yeah, man. all I'm especially right now. Uh, okay, there's all 307 I'm saying, people
1: on this call, and I can tell not all 307 of you send healing energy. I need everyone to send healing energy Red's way.
2: That sounds like a lot. <laughs> man, real shit, the boy out here going through it.
1: <laughs>
2: but, oh my God, uh, Bree, what the? Brie, what the fuck? (laughs) I totally forgot what I even
1: called. What the fuck to which thing? You got to narrow it down for me, Red, because there's a lot to say what the fuck about.
2: That's what I'm saying. Like, I totally forgot what I was even calling in mad about. Like, (laughs) what? Nancy Pelosi quitting New York? I mean, I can't even, I can't really say anything too much about New York because I'm just, like, looking at them like, damn, what the fuck happened over there? But I kind of... I guess I can get it because it's just like the same thing can happen here in Illinois. Like when we had like, when we had like, our uh, we had like our little bit of a red wave, like in a little bit in the middle of Obama. I can't remember if it was between Obama or mm-hmm. Trump. It was somewhere in between, but it was mm-hmm. that Bruce. It was a Bruce. It was a dude named Bruce before we got JB as a uh, governor. And it was mm-hmm. like, it was a little bit of a red wave too. And all I'm going to say is it's just like, even for New York, I, when I looked at the map, it was like, all right, I get it. It's really New York City, maybe a few pockets is blue, but then there's a few back there's a few back pockets that's like red and'll come in and fuck some shit up before you will even know it.
1: That's how America. is it's so funny that we think of like the Northeast versus the South, you know, as conservative versus you know liberal and conservative, when you look at these maps and it's like fully just cities. <laughs> like fully, <laughs> is there a city? It's blue. It's just,
2: one, it's just one city. It's just one right. city holding everything.
1: And, and do you have enough cities in your state <laughs> to make it blue or not?
5: <laughs> like, it
2: was funny because I was looking at the map and I was just like, "What the fuck? There's so many New York. There's so many damn liberal New Yorkers move out of New York and move to like Tennessee and North Carolina and all of that shit. That now there wasn't enough to like keep the rip." To keep the red at bay, or what well,
1: the that's fuck? what was so confusing to me. It's so funny that when uh, Ross and Zoran were talking about um, Hudson Valley, one of the big stories out of like COVID was how everybody left New, well, everybody rich left New York and moved up to t- Hudson Valley. And Hudson Valley, for a long time, it's it's like a area just north of New York, like an hour north of New York, and like it's cute little towns and there's like an art museum up there and like people go and take weekend trips and stuff but it was like a small quiet not that expensive community until relatively recently and it got really popular in the last like 20 years or so so it was already very expensive and then all these new yorkers fled up there right so i presumed that to the extent that it wasn't already blue it would be super blue populated with wealthy new yorkers who could afford to flee the city during covid but when they were talking about how hudson valley went red i was like for real that tells me about some uh, something about even the people who live in the cities, you know.
2: I mean, shit. I can. I mean, I couldn't tell you because they out here in this out here in Chicago, everybody's playing out to like the western suburbs and to, like uh, what's it called over here? It's DuPage County over here. So there's like a Elmhurst and Brook, Everybody's playing out there, and it's kind of like it's kind of like red Republican Trump wave city over there too, but. Still, not literally enough that shit, like, just completely, like, flipped and turned around. God damn, what the fuck is going on? Like, what the fuck is going on in New York? Or maybe just people. Or maybe, I don't know. Like, people could be just getting fed up. It could be the starting signs right there. Everybody always looked to, like, New York or L.A. as, like, goalposts for, like, the blue and shit. Maybe, new, maybe the blue over there is just starting to wane a little weak and getting a little sick of this shit.
1: I mean, look yeah. at us. Look at us in this chat and how we feel about the blue. I mean, I can't even, I can't even work up the energy. I was telling one of my friends, like I can't even work up the energy. To yeah, have but we did it about before. this election.
2: Yeah, but we did it before it was
1: cool. I don't want to hear y'all.
2: I don't want to hear you motherfuckers complaining now that you're not getting your little... I don't want to hear these motherfuckers complaining now that oh you're not getting your little ten thousand or twenty thousand loan okay? <laughs> And now, oh yeah, we oh yeah, Carter fan that drove you away. Don't worry about that shit. <laughs> I don't want to hear it now. It's just like, nope. Hold, hold it, hold it down for your team,
1: especially now that Orange Man's getting ready to come back. <laughs> I'm I am fascinated by like it feels like we live in such a different world than we did when Trump was president, and that's insane, right? Because that was only two years ago. But it, it feels like when it went from Obama to Trump, it was like a whole different phase of my life <laughs> that corresponded with this whole other phase of how people saw themselves in relation to the state. And yeah, then and a
2: lot of it I'm trying to forget, but
1: <laughs> right. And now it feels like that the idea of Trump coming back, having experienced one Trump era, like I'm like, I'm, I'm so, I'm like, I can't stop thinking about it. I'm fascinated by it. I keep thinking about this. I did my radar on this, the Trump DeSantis, um tee off today and how i feel like everyone is sending very mixed messages like i feel like everyone's saying oh trump's speech was bad his announcement speech was bad he's low energy he's not going anywhere DeSantis is the new thing and as like a kind of wish casting like everyone's hoping that that's what's going to happen because they can't (coughs) handle they're trying to like make trump not have like come back again but i'm like when Trump was president, all you guys did was say that if he just read off the teleprompter and chilled a little bit, he could beat, beat Biden. So which is it? And are you just scared that he's actually seeming to try that strategy for once and being kind of chill? It's funny as hell.
2: Got, it's funny as hell because I got some friends that's now talking about like, you oh, know, I could probably vote for Trump. That's oh, Right. Like, scary it's cracking me up. But like, when yeah, but they watched the speech, but when they watched the speech, they was just kind of like, bro, this shit kind of boring, man.
1: Like, what the <laughs> what i'm saying like i think what people i think there there are some things that trump like did go overboard right but like a lot like the energy that like bizarre non-sequitur like just if there was something so fascinating about the man that i definitely think that he should keep i mean not that i'm giving him like political really cool strategy advice <laughs> or anything but like it's a delicate balance i think that a lot of folks don't get what Trump's appeal was and I do still think that even though that speech is boring by Trump standards it was miles more interesting than any 45 minute hour long speech that Biden was going to give
2: oh lord please I couldn't even last five minutes on Biden's speech right.
1: I, but I, I, they, the, I watched a solid 30 minutes of Trump before I turned the channel and just read the transcript <laughs>
2: uh, I, uh, th- what's funny is, is that I'm thinking I don't know I'm thinking about Thanksgiving because like I guess like damn holidays and shit is coming up but like, one of my friends sounded like uh you ever seen that Charlie Brown Thanksgiving with uh
4: mm-hmm.
2: one of his friends, Peppermint Patty, was going on? like, what the fuck, Chuck? Where's the turkey? Where's the crab Where's the mess? What <laughs> of my friends sounded like that with Trump? Like, man, this is some bullshit. Man, what a name calling that? What a what a sleepy Joe at, man. Where I'm throwing money at bitches, where the little pimp say. I was just like, what the fuck, man? People, I was like, dude, was this supposed to be a Campaign rally or a goddamn rock concert?
1: <laughs> Not peppermint patties in. what the fuck? Where's the turkey?
2: At? It was like my friend was like that with Trump. What a name calling! What a roasting. What a rant, on my face! What a fire and fury, Trump! It's just like, yo, my man. I think you kind of want the wrong energy for this country right now.
1: Right. Oh, man.
2: Oh, God, he cracked me up. Oh, my God. All I, Man, look. It is, I, t- I just tell him, like, dude, relax. You'll be fine. If anything, I felt like Trump was calmed down because it was just like he got the feds on his ass right now. <laughs> you know he'll lose cannon. He's just like, I don't want to say no. So he's just like, all right, look, y'all just give me a teleprompter and just let me coast through it real quick. I don't want to <laughs> say nothing out and get my hands locked up before shit starts getting real good. I told this motherfucker, give it till spring. Give it till spring. We got... That's plenty of time for Joe Biden to some way to fuck up in the a, in a <laughs> smallest and minute way. And we'll be getting that good old Trump back that we had in 2015, 2016 reform. Yeah, you know?
1: it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Also, like, people forget that one of the things that Trump did in 2016 was that he, he like, ran against Hillary even from the primary. Like, he was getting his shots in. You know what I mean? And... She like people fed it back and forth so I do think Biden's strategy and everybody's strategy should be not to not to respond to Trump not to try to go head to head with him not to feed into it um but Trump is Trump will Trump will take a shot so we'll see how effective it is if it's just a one-way street don't I wouldn't I'm not saying I'm not saying he's still got the mojo I'm not saying I know that he's gonna persevere or anything. But I've been through this too many times to be making proclamations about how you you should be counting Trump out. That's I'm not going to be caught flat footed uh, estimating Trump. It's not going to uh, be. It's,
2: it's too many people around me either already starting to worry about him, <laughs> or already just like I don't give a damn. You got my vote right here, right now. I'm just like, hey, hey. yeah. It's just a hot, it's just a hot mess out here. Yeah. <laughs> I so my friend, man, like, man, she was bored as fuck, man. What a roast in that. What a man. How come <laughs> he ain't throwing with a t-shirt throwing truck? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I was just like, she's dude, you might as well just ask him. I was like, she's dude, you might as well ask him to get Silk and Diamond or whoever the fuck the <laughs> it
1: was. He ain't got, he ain't get the tour back, man. He gotta get the band back together. Oh, man. The band I, I saw someone tweet, do you remember that woman, Sarah Cooper, who did all the trump voiceovers like her talent was just mouthing clips of what trump had said
2: yeah, yeah. that was it
1: that was the whole wow. thing and they gave her a netflix show and then they realized oh shit like this isn't funny outside of a 20 second tw- uh, twitter clip she's <laughs> so so so, got a show a, she, she got a full-on comedy special god bless her like i i have no ill will toward this woman But, like, she became a mega star for this weird little blip of the Trump era because she just mouthed, didn't even do an accent or, like, voiceover or anything, just mouthed over the track of Trump saying things. And so I saw someone tweeting today, like, a picture of her and then, like, some tweet from, like, Chrissy Teigen talking about Trump. And they were like, I can't do this again. Like, I just can't go back to this era where it's all... Debra Messing and Patricia Arquette, <laughs> like dunking on Trump and talking about Kofi. They were like, "I can't go back." And I get that. Oh
2: shit! If Trump gets hey, if Trump gets Twitter back, is it going Is it gonna be lit again, or is it just gonna be like?
1: Lord, what if is it Trump the is the thing that saves? <laughs> what if Elon Musk saves Twitter by getting Trump back on there? Thereby <laughs> forcing everybody to reengage with Twitter and drinking like, advertisers is, to return
2: i'm trying to debate if that's good for him or bad for him or not because <laughs> the red the supposed red wave that was supposed to come and hit us was so disappointing and it's just like was it trump's fault or was it because hey y'all went a little too ext- i don't know was it like the republicans went too extreme it's funny how the left is ex- oh you leftists are too extreme i mean hey all we're trying to do is just give everybody healthcare, care education a means of living when them motherfuckers get extreme, they taking shit away from you. I thought Americans hated that shit.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, like I talk about this in my radar. I do think that some of the rhetoric about how Trump lost the Republicans the election, it's like, he's a convenient scapegoat. When you look at his predictions, I think he got like 220 odd, uh, 220 odd of his candidates won and like 22 lost. Like overwhelmingly like victorious, like very good percentage And what people are complaining about is that there are just obviously a handful of these very, very important races that were Trump picks that lost. But the other thing is when you even look at that, Trump didn't act like those people. Apart from election denial, which is a big exception, obviously. But apart from election denial, Trump doesn't sound like Carrie Lake. You know, (laughs) I've never heard Trump go in on trans people maybe i missed it but like that wasn't trump's thing trump's thing wasn't like going on about you know textbooks in virginia and like wokeness <laughs> like trump had his things like this is not like complimenting trump but his culture wars were not today's culture wars and if they he lost talking it, about all he, that he other he crazy stuff. Any
2: damn culture war.
1: I'm sorry. If he, even,
2: if he even had any damn culture wars because I mean, he he, has, he's whoa. all about black and Latinos. When they for him, it's really. I just don't like anybody that don't like me. And I think that. Right.
1: Well, he he. The way he was talking about black people, Latinos in this uh, announcement speech was hilarious too. He was, he was so. He, he, he I, it with his chest. I ain't hear <laughs> that.
2: I I I ain't even I ain't even hear the speech. I heard like five minutes of that shit before I was just like, all right, you know, what fan. Just tell me, is he running or not? That was that was the part I saw. Just a news clip where he's just like. I'm running for 2020. I didn't hear him say anything. Was he like, was he really like talking up like black and Latinos and all that shit? And I was just...
1: He said, and I... I'm here to support the Blacks and the Latinos and all of the people who haven't been served by the Democratic Party. And I'm so proud to have attracted so many more Black voters to the, the Republican Party and the lowest Black unemployment that they've ever had. This man, you would have you you would have thought he was about to introduce Jesse Jackson the way he was standing up there talking about all the things that have gotten done for Black people.
2: He got a Black woman ready for VP in his pocket right
1: now. I bet you he does. I bet you like he does. That- the so, lieutenant governor from Virginia, or somebody—he's got somebody going. Maybe Carrie Lake, who I believe is an African American.
2: <laughs> you oh,
1: cannot Lord. tell me that Miss Carrie Lake is not an African American woman.
2: Oh Lord, y- y'all y'all killing me with this shit. That, I'm, I'm, y'all killing me. That's why I'm finna pull a Nancy on y'all. I'm I'm checking out. I'm checking. That's why that bitch leaving now. She's, she ain't she ain't turning over power. She just realized. I can't up show this dude. I did the hand clap. I did the ripping up to the other speech. This man's just too good. I'm not about to get ready and do this shit. I'm finna cash out right now. And yeah, well, just... the,
1: the thing The thing about Nancy Pelosi is, she did say she wasn't going to seek uh, leadership after this term. Like, it's weird that this is a surprise because she said she was going to step down, and what's weird about it is that like no one would be that surprised if she reneged on her promise. That that's where the posture of this is all like. I
2: don't know. I feel like I, I w- you know what you're right. I wouldn't be surprised if she reneged. It was like nah, fuck it. I, I need I need this circus one more time. But I feel like all of, I feel like all of these motherfuckers is cashing out because after Biden, is it's really that's it's really that's it. I don't really know who the hell else these Democrats got. That they can lead. I don't know who else these Democrats got that they can lead on to continue this to lead this train because every every name, all of these repeat names, everybody keeps saying I'm like these motherfuckers. They gonna last two days in the South. No. Hmm. So I feel like all these damns gonna do it unless Michelle Obama decides to have a lapse of sanity and just say, "I right, fuck it. I'll <laughs> slay this ship one time." But I don't know. I feel like the first time somebody called... I feel like the first time somebody bring up monkey arms, she'll just run, she'll just tap out. Just like, nope, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> just let this shit go to shit. Just let this shit go to shit. Well, she, from tell
4: you
1: I'm she
2: from not. Chicago. That's that Southside shit. This woman ain't, <laughs> woman ain't finna
1: play that shit with y'all asses out here. She's just gonna like...
2: You know what? I'm out. I mean, the this.
1: dream that she does it in is actually well to the left of, of, of obama and actually it's just kind of a mask off bulwark type bulwark type candidate but i don't think any of us can um dream that that would ever ever happen but red i'm gonna let you go because i'm i've resolved to not be on here for more than two hours tonight
2: for sure oh, I,
1: wait, at least at I,
2: did, I did at least remember what i did once Call i know i haven't been calling in for a while and i did wanted to make sure because i don't know i'm still going through it i'm I try to listen when i I try to listen in on call in. I still listen to everything else, but it, it gets kind of rough out here. it's getting kind of rough out here for me right now, so I'm not sure how much I can be able to call in as much as I can. but in case I don't, I do want to wish you a happy holidays Bree and
1: thank you red right back at you you know we know we miss you you know you're a fan favorite you know
2: i i miss calling call too i miss call i'm miss calling in i'm miss seeing everybody i' miss hearing everybody man but i do listen to the replays y'all actually do give me something to y'all actually do give me something to listen to and either I'm out here working or even when I was set up in the hospital for a few days but
1: oh red
2: yeah but happy holidays Bree if i if you don't hear from me i don't if you don't hear, if you don't hear from me for a while, I will try to call back before Christmas. But if not, just count all of this in, just count all of this in until y'all hear from me again. Okay.
1: <laughs> all right, Red. Keep keep the faith. We're sending you positive energy and love and support. Let us know if there's anything we can do for you.
2: Love, appreciate it. Keep
1: keep the faith, Red. All right, Bert. What's on your mind tonight, Bert? Sorry to
8: hear Red going through some tough times. Is he from
1: Chicago?
8: Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm, Chicago yeah. Red. Oh, ah, wow. Okay. Yeah. He's a, he's a homie.
1: Um, hmm. Yeah we, we love us we love us some Chicago Red. What's on What's what's on your mind, Bert?
8: Well, you know, he got me thinking about Trump, and all you have to do is watch his world wrestling shtick from back in the day when he was uh, uh, Vince McMahon, and you. Just the whole appeal. Like, I've watched his some speeches, but particularly you know, all of them. His rallies, where he kind of like throws out an insult, steps back, soaks in the, the adoration from the crowd. Mm-hmm. And I bet you, know, like 90% of those people wrestled, well, wrestling guitar <laughs> he was part of. That's his, that's his thing. Anyway, I've, um,. Mm-hmm.
1: Where you're coming you in a little bit, a little bit soft and like a little, like far away.
8: Oh, hang on a second. Let me get you off of Bluetooth. Yeah. with
1: uh, the Bluetooth speaker on? Come on. That- oh, that's better.
9: Okay. Yeah. There was an article. I don't know if you saw it, a couple of Harvard professors. Um, it was in, on an MIT website, it was a, something about the, uh, basically their premise was we should hire 500,000 more police officers.
1: Mm. Yeah, I saw as something a country about because this. Is
9: because that would put general? us in line with our, like, uh, with other countries that in terms of we should have more police, less, uh, smaller sentences. For crimes, That was their basic premise. And I was like reading it and they're like, well, you know, European countries are advanced developed countries all have this ratio of police to citizen were kind of the opposite. But then they didn't include a whole raft of um, like FBI, federal agencies, some state agencies, even some local police agencies that could be under the term. So they undercut their their numbers by like more than half. Mm. Um, and well, you went to Harvard. Are, were the professors kind of like that? Were they lots kind of dinguses? Of like
1: there's there's dinguses everywhere. People are dumb and have ideological priors and make mistakes all over the place. You know, it means nothing. Nobody's smarter than anybody else. There's no. There's no smarting us out of any of our problems.
4: <laughs>
9: um, also, so, can so, I plug a show? Can I plug a yeah, show ahead. real quick? Please. There's a show that's on for like 25 years. Um, it's out of Evanston, Illinois. It used to be on Northwestern's radio station. I think it still is. But it's, you know, podcast, radio show, et cetera. It's called This Is Hell. Oh, and heard can be found that. at thisishell.com. Yeah. And it's like the guy had all the guests that are now on, Scott Ritter, Ray McGovern, he had Chomsky on, back in the day when no, you did not hear these people's voices anywhere. Mm. So I just wanted to, you know, shout out to the guy in that show. Uh, I think his tagline is manufacturing descent for 25 years.
4: Mm. So if people want to check
9: that out, I think it is a, a, a... uh, a well worthwhile listen he has great guests and he lets them speak at length and then gives get mild pushback like his pushback would be well opponents would say da 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 mm-hmm. and then they would be able to respond to that but it, it, he does it's not a debate type show he's okay. his idea is to give voices to people who basically don't have any in, in the media at all a lot of activist types on that show
1: Cool. It sounds great. Thanks for the recommendation. Thanks so much.
9: Thanks for calling in, Bert.
1: Yeah, keep the feed. Bye bye. -bye. Kevin with the cute dog avatar. What's in your mind tonight?
10: Hey, Brie, can you hear me okay? loud and clear. Okay, great, great. Yeah, uh, I want to let you know, too, I actually went to uh, Kate Willett's comedy show on your recommendation. Oh, how
1: show. was it? That's great.
10: It was it, it was awesome. I actually uh, took some of my Normie Lib friends. So I, I think they kind of enjoyed some of her uh, more more lefty humor, you know, I'm trying to even pull them through through their comedy, which I found pretty useful.
1: Oh, man, that's the best. Oh, yes. I'm so jealous. I think she's so funny, and I'm, like, so impressed with her. Like, when I met her, I met her in, like, the lefty space, and I, you know, listened to her podcast and stuff. And then when I, like, followed her on Instagram and saw she had, like, full-on comedy specials and stuff, I was like, oh, girl, I'm impressed with you. She's, I think she's really funny and just very sweet and kind, and I wish her all of the best and all of the things.
10: Yeah, she was, she was awesome. You know, I'm hoping for a video to uh, our her for, for show to get pretty big, but yeah, I wanted to call in because I'm a, a law student in New York. I've tried to be pretty politically active since I've moved here. So this, this particular episode hit pretty close to home. And I actually wanted to mention something that Ross mentioned in the last, you know, time you talked to him, but not this one. I feel like when Zeran Mondani was talking about, you know, the real kind of hope that the left had to really maybe mature and learn and carve out a space um they didn't mention Yuli news campaign and mm-hmm. she had a huge opportunity to run third party um in this coming general election against dan goldman after she only lost by one percent mm-hmm. and it seemed like she was kind of pressured you know to not and mm-hmm. i feel like that was a like massive massive missed opportunity to get all you know your kind of lefty nyu pace university kids mm-hmm. all on board because we were already voting on the working families party line anyway you know
1: That's a good point. I forgot to ask them about that. And maybe I can get Yulene to come on and explain it to us herself.
10: Yeah. I mean, I I actually, full disclosure, I ended up canvassing for her, I think in part, not because of any, you know, great hope for national electoralism, but I've never really canvassed. I actually became a leftist after Black Lives Matter protests. So I've kind of felt some FOMO when you guys are talking about, you know, the the Bernie days and whatever. So I, I thought it'd be useful mm. too. And, and she actually ran a really, really good campaign. I mean, she had Cantonese, Mandarin, and Spanish speakers and translators throughout the time to really tap in to those different communities in Brooklyn. And, you know, she was the only candidate that actually supported BDS. Now, she took a more moderate stance saying she supported the constitutional right to boycott rather than, you know, so kind of more in that free speech end. Mm. But, I mean, way way better than what Mondaire Jones did, right? Mm. I just, so, I you know, and I, I really feel like had had she run third party, that would have given a lot of his people in this very deep blue area in New York an opportunity to kind of, you know, test those muscles out of voting third party and get that practice in.
1: Uh, I yeah I, I totally agree, and I I just I can't believe I forgot about that aspect of the race. How old are you, Kevin? May I ask? You're in college now?
10: Yeah yeah twenty twenty five right now. So proud of uh, Gen Aww. Z, big uh, Vanguard fan too, because I feel like they they, they oh, speak cool. to my to my age group well.
1: Oh, that's, that's very charming. It's, it's, it's just nice to know the broad swath of people who are listening in. So thank you, Kevin.
10: Yeah, totally. Totally.
1: Making me feel young.
10: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been interesting too. And I I think along with the Yulene thing in New York, I want to just mention kind of Ross's point with the defund the police. I know that's already been criticized, but I think when, you know, when you actually talk to a lot of Gen Z people and obviously I'm going to pretty PMC crowd surrounded by law school people a lot. Like, Mm. I think what Black Lives Matter really changed was that all of a sudden you have a lot of these pretty well-off kids who grew up in comfortable environments being incredibly supportive to abolition at the very least. And I don't think that ever really happened or before and it would not have had it not Mm. been for those protests. So I think, you know, what what Ross might be missing here is that any sort of movement, you know, had that not happened, I probably would not have become a leftist at least as quickly because we were inundated with you know all those Instagram posts Twitter Mm. threads Mm. conversations with friends about how fucked up it is and then we were getting you know like fired at by the cops when we were starting to march and Mm. I I think that they completely underrate that in the polls so when when I see that you know only whatever percent supported it, I'm like okay I don't really care you know because I, I only care about like the people in my you know, age group and cohort. You know how how they see it, and then, you know I feel like that 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 matters more than maybe some random kind of you know suburban person who was just looking for a chance not to support it.
1: Yeah, that's it's the the fact of getting radicalized by participating in that movement is is an interesting point and one that I don't think is really emphasized. I mean, I've heard people say that they were radicalized by canvassing for Bernie, for instance. Um, and even their disappointment in how the Bernie campaign ended or that some of the takes Bernie had caused them to radicalize more. You know Nick from RBN says this, that even though he has his frustrations with Senator Sanders, it was that experience that made him in some ways who he is and it gave him a lot more comfort going door to door and doing some of the activities that he does now in terms of community engagement. And so, yeah, I I do think that we sometimes undersell the radicalizing potential of these so-called unsuccessful movements, and I appreciate you for raising that.
10: Yeah, totally. All right. I will hop off now. I know you have a long call. So, uh, yeah, thanks for taking my call.
1: Thanks for calling in, Kevin. Keep the faith. Rex, are you a first-time caller?
11: First-time caller. Very glad to be here.
1: Whoop, whoop, whoop. I don't use my soundboard enough anymore. I'm, like, so late on this. Hey! I was,
11: <laughs> right, at, ah. I was right at the cutoff on the last call-in, but I'm glad to be here now. Oh,
1: no. Okay, I'm glad you made it through, Rex. What's on your mind? Yeah,
11: so there's, there's three reasons I called in. I'll go quick. Okay. First reason is that myself and my entire family loves you and this podcast and Bad Faith.
1: Aww.
11: Huge Thank fans. So my sweet. mom is a huge fan. Um, I know at one point you mentioned, like, you're not sure how long you're going to do this or, like, Maybe this isn't what you want to do forever. And obviously we support, you know, I support in whatever you want to do, but I hope you do bad faith for indefinitely. I hope it goes on forever. I really, it's my number one favorite podcast. Everyone has a podcast they recommend to people and yours is the one I recommend to everybody that'll listen.
1: Thank you, Rex. That's so kind of you to say. I really appreciate that.
11: Absolutely. Uh, I've also was so glad that you had Roger Waters on. I haven't had a chance to listen to it because I there's some podcasts you put on, some episodes where it's like, oh, I'll just have this on in the background. That's definitely one um, that I want to really just sit and listen to. And I haven't had the chance to do that yet. Uh, but I'm so glad that that happened. I feel like that needed to happen. And I don't know what your list is for. I'm sure there's a million things going on to have a bunch of other guests. But I I wanted to ask you about... Having some, you know, talking to more leftist musicians, or if you've ever mm. thought of doing anything like that. You know, uh,
1: funny. We used to do it more. We had Ice Cube come on within the first like 20 episodes. That was a great so... episode. Yeah. Yeah. We did Boots Riley. And I, that was kind of short. Too. Yeah,
11: yeah. I wish he, he would was come back. A
1: time, yeah, he was on a time limit. Sure. But sure. Boots Riley, last time I asked, said he wasn't able to come back. I hope he changes his mind. Obviously, we had, um, uh, Killer Mike on, well, let mm-hmm. me see I can get Killer Mike back actually. Uh, but yeah, two I,
11: recommendations, please. please. Okay, good. Uh, Well, I don't know if you're familiar at all with Tom Morello or Zach De La Rocha from Rage Against Anyone from Rage Against the Machine. If I feel like they always talk about the music as they should, but it'd be so interesting to hear their, you know, they did a they did an interview with Chomsky 25 years ago or something. Um, but that, that would be phenomenal. And if anyone, if you haven't listened to them, I would highly recommend the song Wake Up and the song Take the Power Back are both phenomenal. Okay. Um, and interestingly enough, um, Mary Morello, shout out to her, is a wonderful activist who also spent a lot of time in Kenya. Um, I think she's 99 years old. I don't know if she could be a viable podcast, uh, podcast guest or not, but she is the mother of Tom Morello, one of the greatest guitar players alive today. Who's the guitar player from, um, Rage Against the Machine. And I believe that it was her politics that largely, uh, inspired Tom to continue down the leftist path, that revolutionary path that he's on. Um, so that's one, one idea. And then second is, uh, Dennis Lixon from this Swedish punk band Refused. That's actually the first ba- first real leftist anti-capitalist message I ever heard uh, when I was in college. and I was like listening to this punk rock, like, oh my God, anti-capitalist. I didn't really quite know what it meant at the time, but it's, they're, they're phenomenal. It's a wonderful band and the front man is uh, Dennis Lixon and very interesting uh, intellectual. Uh, So two people to keep in mind, I suppose, because, again, if they ever do interviews, they're talking about their latest albums. They're not really talking about politics. So I'd be very interested. Uh, I feel like your platform would be a wonderful, a wonderful place to possibly discuss such things.
1: All right. Well, I I wrote them down. Sometimes I I worry about interviewing um, musicians because I feel like, oh, do they expect me to ask them about music? for two reasons. One, you know, sometimes I'm not familiar with their music and it's like, what am I going to do? Like binge their album and try to pretend like I'm a fan when I'm, you know, when I, when I haven't actually listened to their music before. And then two, I think that music interviews, it's like a whole other art and requires a whole other skill level. And I, I love listening to music podcasts and people who interview musicians about their craft But I remember the first time we had, like, a a musician on, I remember thinking, like, I don't know that I have the language to talk about music in that way. Um, And I was nervous about Roger Waters for that same reason. But, like, obviously we're off to the races with him. And he's so political that, you know, there was not even any space to talk about music. Well,
11: that's my one caveat. I totally hear what you're saying. It's just a matter of the the two bands or people I recommended are highly leftist. So I feel like... They would fit in similar to Roger Waters and that that's like, yes, they have this music career, um, but they're very politically motivated as well.
1: Okay, I'm down. I'm going to definitely pull up that um, Chomsky interview you mentioned.
11: Yeah, yeah, they did a Chomsky. It was actually Zack de la Rocha, who's the lead singer for Rage Against the Machine, um, interviewed Chomsky a lot okay. and I haven't even seen the whole thing of it but that does exist. And just a side note is I love that band so much but I think one critique of leftist bands like Rage or like Anti-Flag is that I think they just get pegged as oh that's a they're angry, they're political and like people might like them but it kind of gets there's something to it where I think that almost it breaks through the culture a bit more when it's like you know when there's a a, a cultural critique from someone that's not automatically labeled as Political, but that's—I obviously am a huge Ragingist Machine fan. That's nothing against them. It's just a sort of an observation on on society or on our culture. Third reason I called in is you've mentioned a few times or hinted at doing another dating on the Left <laughs> show,
4: right. and I want right. to know
11: when that will. Do you have any idea? Is that going to be this year? Is that going to be around Valentine's Day, twenty twenty three? Because I'm like, I'm worried I'm going to miss it, and <laughs> I, I want to call in. I want to call in again after that episode. I, I got stories. I want, to, I want to call LOL. in that was my reason for calling in now was like I gotta get used to calling in because I don't want that to be my first <laughs> time calling in after the dating on the left episode so dropped
1: I, if I had my druthers we do one like every month like because honestly all I want to do is talk about nonsense however what what has been challenging is well why I keep forgetting and things keep happening and you know wars keep starting and stuff but yeah, I <laughs> i I also wanted this next one to be a co-ed episode, but I sometimes feel like it is a little difficult to find men in particular who are kind of self like like really actually self aware <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just trying to find words that don't sound like so patronizing They're you're not, not you're not gonna hurt my feelings. <laughs> I, my my extremely gendered experience is that men don't always spend as much time interrogating relationships and what they want and what they find to be lacking the way that women do. So with the women, the, what, the episode with all women, it was very, like, analytical, and they had a lot to say that was kind of specific and affirming. And the men were like, yeah you know i don't really think about a girl's politics uh yeah (laughs) like and i love them all like this is not intended to be shade obviously but i am really interested except for jb shout out to jb because he he was he was more introspective in the group but I, i am i'm trying to find a male leftist who has like more affirmative opinions about dating and the dynamics and the politics of it all. Um, And if anyone has any suggestions about what leftists. I mean, you are are
11: talking to one, but I'm just a random guy on the (laughs) (laughs) call-in.
1: Look, we we love a random guy on the call-in. But if there's anybody like who's like in this media space that you feel like you've always wanted to know more about their romantic life, this is your chance. Or I can just like mix it back up with the same people that we've had on before. We can get, you know, J B and you know, OLA Yeah, I, I didn't think there was anything wrong with I, or
11: just or it. mixing it back in isn't a bad idea at all. I mean or or I don't know how many other people on RBN are single, but I love everyone on that whole that whole team.
1: Yeah, I think and you don't have to be single. I think I asked Megan Data. Oh yeah, they, they just the talk about episode. their previous
11: dating experiences. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Before I, I had asked. I think it's good to have a married. I mean, like, there's an argument that the married people have better insights into how to have a successful relationship than the people who are out here dating in their 30s. But yeah, I had asked Megan Day, I think, and she was like, "No, I'm married, and I don't think I have expertise." And I was like, "Girl, you literally have expertise."
11: Yeah, <laughs> but, I agree. Yeah. I'm done
1: yeah so but do you
11: just, so is that still in the works do you, are you thinking like february I, i've just been waiting like is it going to be this week like i don't want to miss <laughs> it i want to call in. Oh,
1: so i had dropped the ball also i had maybe wanted jd signifier on now that i think about it um i had dropped the ball but thank you for reminding me hopefully i'll be able to accomplish this before valentine's day but maybe that's a good time peg at very least have it out by valentine's day
11: and then give us a week in advance or something, because I don't want to miss that call, and I really want to. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna be wait like I don't want to take up more time of this call, but like when there's a specific dating episode, it's like all right, I'm calling in, I want to be first in line for this. I got, I got <laughs> stuff to talk. I got stuff to talk about.
1: Okay, I'm seeing people say Aaron Mate, Jimmy Dore, Michael Moore, Max Blumenthal. LOL. Oh, yes. Aaron Mate would be good. I think he would be. Well, his dad Max is Blumenthal. like a nota- noted, what, psychotherapist or, or something like that, so.
11: And he just has a new book out, too, that I haven't read, but he has a, uh, yeah, Kabor Mate has a brand new book out about, like, tox- ar- toxic culture and how weird it is, which I definitely feel in the dating world. Be a good
1: guess. Let's, let's get him on, too, maybe in a separate episode. All the good suggestions, Rex. Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you for reminding me. For
11: sure. No, we. I love you, and I'm, I gotta give uh, sh- one more shout-out just to how I'm so thankful that it seems like on the left, as soon as someone is slightly more radical or slightly more leftist, then the at least in the media sphere, it's like, oh, we can't talk to them, or like they're too extreme, or you know they're anti-vax, so like, there's a problem. Can't go there. And I'm so thankful that you talk to a wide swath of people. I feel like you're the, that's one of the reasons why you're one of the you're the best podcast around is that it's not you're not so restrictive. And I can't thank you enough for that. So yeah. keep talking to everybody.
1: Thank you, Rex. You're such a sweetie. I appreciate you so much. Thank you.
11: I'll call in more. Thank you. Thank you. Keep Please do.
1: Shout out to the fam. Keep the faith. <laughs> uh, Tucker, welcome back. What's on your mind this evening?
12: Hey, how are you?
1: Tucker? Oh, hey, what's going on, my friend?
12: Uh, well, first off, I just wanted to bring up the idea, since you always do have a long queue and i remember back in march i was having a conversation with you and you brought up i believe her name was simone and we were talking about uh cryptocurrencies and all that stuff oh yeah
1: what happened i remember simone used to call in a bunch
12: and i think that would be a nice thing to throw in maybe have two people on the same time because it was nice to listen to you and her talk and also have my opinion thrown in Mm
4: -hmm, mm -hmm. like
12: me talk and have her opinion thrown in and it would also be a quick way to get through the queue because in the same period that you and me were talking you also got her involved Mm -hmm. and her knocked out of the way I don't know I don't want to tell you how to run your own podcast
1: no no I like that and I thought about it but my my question is always like in that case she had expertise in in like programming and design mm-hmm. and tech stuff so it was easy to pull her up while the conversation was going and it's happened before like I think like me and day and um oh, my friend I'm forgetting your name You're a very spirited bubbly young woman who used to call in a bunch but we all were up here together talking about like my romantic life one time and so there's there are some times where the conversation like the conversation naturally builds and i'm very familiar with the people involved and it's easy to like orchestrate but like today what would i be doing picking two people arbitrarily and pulling them up like that's that's always my worry like how do i do that how do i know
12: i just think probably like the first two people and then the next two people after maybe 15 20 minutes just as a way to get through the queue quickly i don't know i just think that would be more interesting probably bring in more views other than just the two people who were speaking, but that wasn't the main reason why I was calling in.
4: Okay.
12: Uh, I am, I like to do a lot of research uh, coming up to elections and after elections and all that stuff. And I first looked up like how many uncontested seats there were in Arkansas in the state house. And I saw 52 out of a hundred were uncontested by Democrats. Mm -hmm. So that means right off the bat, 52% 52% of the seats went to Republicans. Mm. And then I expanded, okay, what about other states? Like, what what did they look like in the House seats? And I went, the first 15, I oh don't know, the first 15 red states that I can think of, and I figured out all of the uncontested House seats and, like, how much uh, were uncontested. Like, the most uncontested was Wyoming with 42 out of 62 seats. Oof. And... Like, the least that I saw was West Virginia, surprisingly, with Mm -hmm. only 24% of the seats uncontested. And, like, the main thing that I was looking at is Georgia. They had uh, 52 out of 180 seats uncontested, which would factor in to be about 28.88% of the seats uncontested. And Raphael Warnack uh, got 49.4% of the vote. If they would have just had maybe not 52 seats uncontested, if it was only 30 seats uncontested, he would have outright won the Senate race, and we wouldn't be going to a runoff election.
1: How many – wait, how many – are you saying that because people would have come out to vote for those candidates?
12: Yeah, because how – essentially how the party structure works is you want lower down ballot. Uh, races, so they get out the vote locally mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm.
12: to help get out the vote for the people up at the top, essentially.
4: Mm-hmm.
12: And uh, basically, how I have just got it all set out because I have the uncontested seats by the leg- uh, House legislature, and then the governor's race, how that broke down, like the percentage wise, and then the Senate percentage wise. And I really hate how I can't share like a screenshot on. Mm-hmm. This, but it shows the most uncontested seats in states like Wyoming. The governor's race was 78.7% to 16.8% Democrat. But the lowest state that had the most uh, contested was Texas. And it was basically the closest race with 54.8% to 43.8%. Still not good. I mean, Beto's not a good candidate Mm -hmm. granted but Mm -hmm. it just seems like i mean after i added up from all these 15 states there's over 700 seats that were uncontested by democrats and essentially what i was thinking is why don't progressives and leftists find these uncontested seats and just run in them because there's no way that all over 700 of these seats are republican there's you're granted to at least win one of them, yeah. And that's this is just like the state house districts. Like this isn't the like the state senate, and so that could bring it up to over a thousand state seats. And that that ain't even considering all the like statewide seats that were went uncontested, which a lot of them were. And it's just crazy how we, yeah. I don't know, I say yeah. we, but a lot of people in this podcast just don't care about the democratic party, but I actually, I, I do kind of because like 52% okay. of the 52% of the state uh, house seats went uncontested in Arkansas. So yeah. that's 52% of the seats that progressives in Arkansas could feasibly run for and potentially win. Because I mean, we only, okay. So Democrats only would have ran in 48% of the seats and they got, 22 percent of the seats that they won like national or statewide so i'm like if we just went like run the same amount of seats you could at least double it and like have at least 44 percent of the seats instead of 22 percent of the seats and letting the republicans have a super majority
1: yeah may I ask have have you considered running
12: um yes i actually have (laughs) this is what uh kind of ran it all off. Like, uh, the, my old, uh, state legend or state house rep was, um, annoying. I did not like him and neither did uh-huh. my brother, <laughs> neither did my brother. And we were, we came up with the idea. I came up with the idea of, I could run as a Democrat and he could run as a Republican and primary him. So either way, a Yakabachi would be a representative. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Tucker's out here but, using his government name,
12: <laughs> but unfortunately, like we're not under his like that representative anymore because of re- uh, redistricting. We're under a different representative. So, like, oh gosh, <laughs> redistricting in Arkansas is terrible. Like, the main reason I have been looking up all of this stuff is because uh, I saw an election, uh, a re-election in it's a new district's uh incumbent democrat uh steve maggie he won re-election by only 10 votes uh, after republicans redistricted his uh district from like a safe uh 2000 plus uh democrat uh district down to a essentially he only won by 10 votes
4: mm, and that's right, what yeah.
12: got me into looking all looking into mm-hmm. all of this stuff mm-hmm. and i'm just like if progressives, if there was like a left-leaning group nationally that would target these open seats like clearly the democratic party doesn't care about these seats so if there was a large group maybe if like bernie sanders still had his national group like if he had still had that burn app which he just let die yeah like we could contest these over 700 seats yeah. but like how i was saying yeah I'm in a, like my current district as of this year, which I honestly didn't care because I just moved. So I, I couldn't have ran anyway. But yeah, he went uncontested. <laughs> and like before redistricting, he only won by like a little over a thousand votes. And I'm just like, these races have potentially up to 12,000 voters in each of one of them. But there's only like 6,000 people that vote. So I'm just like, okay, if one district has 12,000 people that vote and one district only has 6,000 people that vote, that's a potential of 6,000 people that will vote in this district that just don't vote because there's no Democrat that's running in that district.
1: Mm-hmm. No, so I, I, I don't get know. you. It's just crazy. I get you. And that is sound crazy. I do think it's telling the, I mean, like, I think, I do think it's telling, for me, like the barrier to ever really being involved is like, I can't even begin to imagine what it takes. I don't know. I need I need like a TED talk on how to run for local office or something. You know, the it seems daunting. Even even these uncontested races, it's like how much money do I need? What's the process like from a like a administrative perspective? How many hours do these positions entail? week from me is it a full-time situation am i quitting my day job is this financially viable how much does it pay like there are all of these kinds of questions that seem very opaque to someone who hasn't led a political life and that's me i'm considering myself that person
12: oh Um, no i'm with you there
1: yeah so maybe i may know
12: all this stuff but i don't know how to to run for office and all that stuff that that's where i've been very um dissuaded from running for office like i want to but anytime that i've showed any inclination to it i'm like uh no i'm kind of dissuaded from it because uh side note like uh back in 2018 2018 uh i was living up in uh, washington county and i was thinking about running against uh sitting uh, member charlie collins which if anybody knows charlie collins he's a terrible person Mm-hmm. And I showed interest to the democratic party and they pretty much shut me down because they already had somebody, which I love her. I voted for her. She won. I'm happy. I have no ill will, but it's just the fact like,
4: eh, eh,
12: because it feels like they may have people already in mind that they'll, Oh, if Pro- progressive does come into office, blah, blah, you know, mm-hmm. you know, this crap. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although you, But I did uh, one thing is we just did have an election and a lot of states are state Democratic parties are having their elections for uh, party officials and um, state uh, executive committees. So if anybody listening wants to go see maybe run to get on the executive committee, which it's not hard, especially if you're in like a small state, not many people are engaged with that process you could easily convince people to vote for you i did as a jill stein supporter like if i can mm-hmm. do it anybody could do it like it, it ain't hard just don't come in like guns blazing saying that you want to tear down the democratic party <laughs> say that you actually want to help make the democratic party better and if you're young they make love the that. the democrats
1: crap. great again
12: <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh i was i was just joking around and there was like you know how you covered the whole uh, Donald Trump. Uh, his campaign make make America great and glorious again and I was just thinking uh, that spells out like a uh, uh, gog and magog like in the Bible with like how it's supposed to bring the end times and I'm just like the irony
1: Oh I'm uh, not familiar with that one
12: yeah I, look- I wouldn't I, I wouldn't expect that, but I don't want to <laughs> I- take up any more of your time
1: okay. Uh I'm ready thank, to go. <laughs> thank you for the I'm I've written down do an episode called uh how to run for office. So I appreciate that Tucker. Thank you for all of your stats.
12: No problem. Have a great night.
1: All right, keep the faith. Jonathan, I know that you hit a button and you were next in line. So what's on your mind?
13: I appreciate that. Um I was originally going to call in to to talk about the uh the episode, but Red kind of touched on a Topic that uh, struck me as more interesting, less gloomy, and uh, Mm -hmm. probably better in the interests of uh, keeping it tight, so you can make your deadline Mm -hmm. or at least get close to it. Uh, But you know, it's uh, there's a woman named uh, named Dana Young who wrote a book called Irony and Outrage, and uh, in it, you know, amongst other things, it it explains why um, you know conservatives tend not to be very funny, Uh, but. One of the things that she mentioned is um, they tend to gravitate more towards, you know, kind of outrage porn. It triggers the same areas of the brain because when she was a grad student, she did some of these cognitive psych studies uh, that showed the same areas of the brain, the same reward centers of the brain were triggered with outrage porn as with uh, comedy and, and laughter. And they kind of get off on that and they tend to gravitate more towards outrage porn and, you know, people toward the left end of the spectrum tend to gravitate more towards comedy. But everybody's a mixture of both. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I even noticed, like once I read that, like I even remembered, you know, feeling that mix, you know, on your show. Like you make these points and I bang on tables and I get the same kind of endorphin rush as when we say something funny on the call in or when you say something Mm -hmm. funny on the show. And the, the, it struck something in my memory that people used to describe Trump rallies as a mixture of like a pep rally and a stand up comedy show.
4: Mm-hmm. I even
13: remember like a, a few very specific things. You know, like I, I like Representative Dingle, but that joke he made about Dingle, where he's like, you know, Dingle, and he's like, you know, and she said, and he's looking down on us, or maybe he's looking up at us. I don't know. And the way the audience went, ooh. Like being able to elicit that reaction, mm. I think, was a huge part of his magnetism. Like mm-hmm. the the mixture of outrage porn and stand up comedy was what he had that that drew all these people. That had this uh, this kind of hypnotic spell. Even the people that disapproved of his specific behaviors mm. loved the energy that he brought, and they would pack these Trump rallies. The only one who could even contend was, you know, Bernie Sanders, who also filled people in his audience with this kind of endorphin rush of hope and optimism and, you know, a little oxytocin thrown in there, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, again, like what Red was saying about this uh, announcement speech and the low energy thing, like, he may be right and they may be right. If he doesn't get his mojo back, if he doesn't, uh, isn't able to, like, if he's actually shifted away from that kind of mixture of, of outrage porn and uh, crude stand-up comedy that he used to do, I don't think he's going to go very far.
1: Well, another thing I heard someone say is that this event was at Mar-a-Lago, which might have been strategically geared toward making him seem more presidential, but that that's not his normal space and his normal crowd. And the, it might not be that he lost his mojo. It might just be that he is not in a, in a stadium. And that once he's back in a stadium, I mean, he's been giving speeches this whole time. I mean, they haven't been covered as much by the media and he's not on Twitter and all the things. But apparently, I mean, it's not like he he's stopped. And it seems like those have still been the same quality that they've always been, the same Trump that everyone's loved. So... I I can believe that his heart's not really in this. I can believe an argument that he's not going to be the same spirited guy. He's obviously much older. It's not twenty fifteen, but I haven't seen enough. All I'm saying is I haven't seen enough to to know that that's the case. There's too much circumstantial about this one speech this far out for me to make any claim like that. And and I'm just I'm just waiting and seeing. That's all. Yeah, no, I agree
13: with that 100%. And in fact, like, I I definitely am uh, extra with you on, you know, a lot of these pronouncements uh, this far out, because there's a lot that can happen in a very short space of time, much less two whole years. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I mean, just look what's happened in these two years. It feels like a million years since the 2020 election. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Biden inauguration, like, it feels like a million years have gone by.
1: Mm-hmm. But, also, who in the hell is Ron DeSantis Like, <laughs> just I, do you remember that who, is, who in the hell is Wolf Blitzer That little kid in the balloon Anyway, I feel yeah. like we don't know who the hell Ron DeSantis is I'm sorry I've never heard the man speak for more than two minutes at a time And that's me, that's on me, right I'm not like a Florida resident I'm not like watching him on the cable news every night But I have <laughs> no idea What he's like In a debate context I mean, I watched some of the Charlie and Chris debate And frankly, what I saw wasn't great from DeSantis.
13: Yeah. And that's that's true. I think you actually nailed it in the radar pretty well with the example of Kamala Harris. And it's a there's like people need to understand that there is a huge difference and like the media tries to portray it otherwise. But when you have these very scripted, very choreographed things, it's very easy. Like in a sense, politicians, um, you know, like the skill set that it it gravitates towards is almost like a little bit of like failed actors or, Mm -hmm. you know, community theater types. Mm -hmm. Like people that can do a little bit of acting or performance with a script. Very well rehearsed, uh, and they can perform in front of a camera. It's a very different thing when there's a lot of scrutiny on you, Mm -hmm. when you're expected to do long form interviews and conversations, Mm -hmm. and actually articulate something that people can resonate with. Mm
4: -hmm. And
13: that's something that's a test that he hasn't passed. And and frankly, based on what I've seen, I'm skeptical that he's going to. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think he's as bad as Kamala. I mean, come on, that's an extreme case, (laughs) but that was a hilarious. (laughs) that was a hilarious dunk you put on there which i i left a lovely comment in there saying that <laughs> absolutely was the garnish that elicited the chef's kiss
1: i i was it was it was fun i just couldn't resist i mean I'm, i i just Kamala. Combs the gift that keeps giving. God bless. That him.
13: that clip was was just priceless. It had me in stitches when I first saw it too. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's like we're like we it resonated with all of us. But I, I'm just thinking, that, you know, that's something to watch for over the coming two years since Trump decided to start this far out with his little campaign. Uh, <laughs> let's see if he still got that energy. If he does, I, I certainly I think you're right. You, we we definitely shouldn't count him out because that magic is not something that only works once. That's that's a consistent thing.
1: Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go now for the earlier caller and watch some of his um uh WWF. Maybe maybe we should get Leslie on and and do an episode yes. where he's like, live react to Trump on yes. a wrestling match.
13: <laughs> that is the expert on that and he can tell you all the good ones. <laughs>
1: all right. Thank you Jonathan it's always good to talk to you. Thank you. Alright keep the bait Andrew with a kitten in a helmet. Are you a first time color?
7: No, I tricked you.
1: Oh, okay. What, what's your usual avatar?
7: Uh, it's me and my wife is the usual one in a forest, but this is my new cat. And I was like, oh, adorable. there's, there's a lot of people with cat, uh, pictures. And she climbed into my helmet. I didn't put her there for the, she doesn't stick around if you put her somewhere for a photo op. So <laughs> I was proud of this one.
1: What's her name? Uh,
7: her name's Lava.
1: Oh, Lava. Adorable.
7: <laughs> yeah, it's a good name for her, I think, but we didn't really think about it cuz we already have a dog named Lala and so mm. she's like also very jealous and if we're like <laughs> talking to Lava, she's she'll 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 run over to us immediately. We're like, "No, not you." And then she goes oh, back no, to No, you
1: set her up.
7: Yeah, you set Lala up. <laughs> I feel pretty bad. Um, All right.
1: Well, apart from your um, cruel naming choices, Andrew, (laughs) what's on your mind tonight? Um,
7: I don't remember my original thought. I had another thought, though, when Tucker was talking about the amount of races that are uncontested. And when you said you might do a how to run for office episode, I think that's a great idea to just go over the basics of something like that, because it's actually very complicated. It's different in state for state by state, if you're talking about like a federal office, and it's also obviously a little bit different, even potentially county by county for how to run for a more local office or city by city.
4: Mm-hmm. So
7: uh-huh. that's like five episodes right there. Like, why don't we have a a standard national system, for at least for federal office and stricter guidelines for local offices, but that's a whole ass thing. Um, I was going to recommend some other, some other thoughts, like specifically for Tucker. I think that in, in uh, like, at least in, in Tucker's case, if I recall, you're in Arkansas. Um, there
1: goes Lala classic Lala. No,
7: that's Kita. I have a, there's a million dogs right next to my house. Right, go ahead. No, it's okay. Um, oh my gosh, I'm gonna throw water at them.
1: Um, <laughs> it's fine. Whoever's dog is it's not. It's not distracting. I'm just being silly.
7: Okay, good. It. It. She gets on my nerves though. She. She. When I walk my dogs outside, she's jumping up and down on her roof, and there's like spit falling on my head from her, and she's like that angry about any type of intrusion. Okay, <laughs> off topic again. Um. The 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 thought was, um, you know, about picking candidates. I would love it if you were to talk with Shama Sawant again. Mm-hmm. Um, if you do that, ask her about the process of the Socialist Alternative chapter for selecting, like, a candidate and spokespeople. Because <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I, I think that... <sighs> Even with uh, I can't remember her name. She Fenny was working on her campaign. Was her name Michaela? Yeah, Michaela Wilkes. Yeah, Michaela Wilkes. I liked her, right? Mm-hmm. And I assume there was some type of process where people were like, "Oh, Michaela should run." Um, but I think for there to be a little bit more of, I mean, there's all these uncontested seats around the the country that Tucker was pointing out, and that's super, you know, telling to know. But if you join the Democratic Party, um, you know, like Tucker mentioned, they're unlikely to take you seriously. If they do bring you in, you're going to be doing grunt work and not have any say. If you do a um, sort of dirty break thing, like that kind of already happened with, um, was it Nevada, where pretty much all of the state... Like the powerful seats of the state Democratic Party were won by DSA candidates Mm -hmm. and the Democratic Party pulled out all of their money, fired all of their consultants Mm -hmm. and then brought Mm -hmm. a bunch of lawsuits against them. And I'm pretty sure they they have, you know, I haven't heard anything else other than they have neutralized them. And so I think there's, there's this wide open lane in a lot of states for all these offices that don't even have a challenger. And the the people that are in office are from these two stale parties that once again, you know, both of the solid voter voting membership of the parties together are a minority of the country. You only get a majority, if that, if you add in independent voters, but like we would have to come up with, you know, an organizational strategy to attack these different districts. Maybe there's already a lot of disparate groups of people who could connect with some local, um, you know, community organizing organizations that are already working homeless, um, kind of aid and things like that come to, or, you know, education uh, for youth, that type of stuff comes to mind is like, what type of organizations are around everywhere or maybe unions as well. But without there being some kind of agreement, Um, not everybody's going to like all these candidates. They don't have to because they'll be in a local area. But I think if if leftists are going to engage in an electoral strategy, we have to get serious about how to identify and select candidates that aren't already putting themselves on the slate. Because typically you don't get a Michaela, you don't get a Dennis Kucinich. So you don't get a Michaela Wilkes or Dennis Kucinich, you get a person who is – more or less doing it out of uh drive for ego or e- kind of equal parts wanting to make their mark on the political system and ego, but they're I would say overwhelmingly unlikely to be in it for the the reasons that are like a real necessity that would bring out non voters and that mm-hmm. is how you should attack those districts that either have a stale challenger from the Democratic Party that has a low chance of taking over um or they're un uncontested and so mm-hmm. i would anyways i'll shut up for a second what were
4: you gonna say
1: no i just i think that's a good idea i've been wanting to get shama back on for a while uh i was actually thinking about it but also i don't want anybody to be mad at me for never going to social alternative meetings but that's a me problem <laughs> and I, I can't procrastinate having her back on the program just because i'm so ashamed of my attendance record so I'll get on the stick, and I appreciate okay. the
2: suggestion, Andrew. <laughs> sure. Did
7: they give you a uh, required reading to join the chapter?
1: Oh yeah, that—that's yeah. the thing. That that's this time last year, I felt like I was studying for the GRE or something to get into social <laughs> alternative. It was every Thursday. So, so I only had one job back then. You know, this was like prior to Colin and prior to um, the Hill. So I had yeah. a lot more time on my hands, to be honest. But I would go to the Thursday meetings and I would do all of this reading. And then I had to, I had like a, like a chat, like once a week, like an hour long chat with someone about the readings, like a, like a check in, like a seminar, like a one. I mean, reading,
7: reading groups are fun. But if it's like, if it feels like it's a test, that's maybe a little, no, bit no, no. It
1: wasn't like a test. It Enjoy was very fun. organic and a lovely conversation. And I, and I really enjoyed the young woman who was like tasked to me uh and i learned a lot and i really enjoyed it i was so excited about it and the only reason i stopped the only reason i stopped attending meetings was because i scheduled these call-ins on thursdays for this exact time like i think they meet from like seven to nine on thursday so you built up
7: your, you built up your life where that was your only free time or like well, it's tradable time
1: I, well the the I, to make Colin easy, I made it for the same day as the episodes. And the episodes, you know, for a year oh, before I, I joined you. Socialist Alternative, Alternative were on Thursdays and, and Mondays. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I did it on Friday because I was traveling in, in Chicago. And you guys seemed to like that. It was like the middle of the day on, on Friday, which I can do sometimes <laughs> than other times because I'm often recording Bad Faith episodes on Fridays. Um, but... <sighs> I need to figure I, – something I need to figure out because I actually do miss a sense of community. I should be – to the extent that one still isn't started, I should be starting a socialist alternative chapter in D.C. and I have no excuse, so.
7: Oh, there's not a chapter in D.C.? What, what group did you join? What, like, branch did you Brooklyn. join? In? Oh, I got I was you. in a okay.
1: Brooklyn chapter, yeah.
7: Oh, yeah. Start a D.C. chapter. I have a friend who – well, no, nah, he's he probably wouldn't join. He's too anarchist, but he might, like, hang out with you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: I don't know. I don't know. That's the rule. He has still to do his reading and get in. He's probably done it. It's a hot ticket. He's
7: he's an interesting character. He's – if you want to – no, never mind. I was going to dox him. That would not be cool. Never mind. Uh, (laughs)
1: Don't dox your friends.
7: All right. Yeah. (laughs) Anyways, I can have some more people. I always appreciate you bringing me on. I know you just lamented not having an assistant, um, but please – uh check your email and i will actually like help you find an assistant if you want do you need it to be someone like close to you or just someone to like be on zoom with you
1: i just need someone to help me book guests and respond to emails and figure out the things i should be responding to and saying yes to and the things i should be saying no to and responding to emails and doing things like helping me with a merch store or, yeah. you know, helping me with, like, logo redesign and getting me on the stick with that stuff. And maybe finding, like, someone to help do media so we can submit ourselves to the best of list at the end of the year to try to get a little publicity or, yeah, I don't know, these notions that filter through my head and then they go out the other side because who has the time? Or, like, my doing, first? reaching out to guests in advance, like, Cole, like when you guys have all these ideas, I'm just trying to get through the next week. So, <laughs> I'm not, like, there's a world where you blast all the people, you email blast everyone you guys suggest, and then set up interviews for, like, weeks in advance. That would be a beautiful way to run my life that I have not achieved.
7: <laughs> you already have, do you already have, like, a Slack or a Discord? That might be a yeah, way to do it, like, inviting It's just
1: me. People. It's just it's just me and Armand. <laughs> just me <laughs> and producer Armand. We might as well be texting each other. Bring some <laughs> of us in. You might you never know. Some of us
7: will probably be lazy and some of us might be helpful. I mean, right no, no, now no.
1: My I need job to hire kind of an assistant. No, I'm I need to hire and pay somebody. I'm not trying just to just exploit you people. I just oh, okay. that's a whole other administrative burden. You know, burden we, for you know me.
7: we do it though. Just in case Yeah, I know,
1: but that's not a good reason for me to <laughs> take advantage of it. <laughs>
7: you guys. (laughs) That's fair enough.
1: I'm going to figure it out. There's going to come a time where I have uh, a space and to inhale and I'm going to figure it out. But for now, for now, Andrew, I am going to log off. I am going to go downstairs and do 20 minutes on the rowing machine and I'm going to go to bed. That is not my theme song. What is is this? What is
7: this? Is that my Sharona?
1: with the book no it's like the default theme built into the roadcaster no 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 that's not what we want that's not what we want we know what we want there it is okay thank you to you everybody thanks andrew for calling in keep the faith thank you to everyone for hanging out with me this evening we kept it to a tight two hours this felt good look at us getting out of here by 11 and 15 Like adults, like mature individuals We're all going to get rest tonight West Coast people, you're going to get like 10 hours of sleep tonight I'm so impressed with us Thank you
0: Keep the faith I wish I had a million dollars I wish I had a million albums I wish I had a million problems That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes I wish I found a genie lamp I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah, I wish I was a comedian, a late night sitcom syndicated on TV Land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth, you can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like it's like I wish I wish that every time we love and it, it feels just like this. I wish I wish that every time we do it it feels just like this. I wish, I wish I wish, I wish that every time we love and it feels, like it feels just like this it feels just like this it feels I wish I had a time machine wish I had a better rhyming speed wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lime bean I wish that I could spread my wings I wish that I had seven limbs, yeah, that way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish, dímelo, dímelo, at least I kind of understand it. (laughs) Wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets, yeah. I wish I was an astronaut. I wish I knew more classic rock, <laughs> focused on myself. You can't help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish, that every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, that every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, that every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I
4: wish